This week, we sit down with Patrick DeLuca, an expert in geographical information systems, abbreviated as GIS, with interest in air quality monitoring, modeling and mapping, regional variations in health quality and healthcare, and more. Patrick is also an instructor at McMaster University. He tells us about his journey on choosing GIS as a career path while sharing valuable lessons on what he learned along the way. Listeners also get an opportunity to learn about the unique and important relation of GIS with population health and how professionals in this field work collaboratively with other health professionals. We then touch on how GIS helps elucidate the importance of considering the social determinants of health and increasing awareness of health inequities. As well, stay tuned for the advice he has for students. Hello, Mr. DeLuca. Welcome to the Healthcare Perspectives podcast. If you wouldn't mind, maybe just introducing yourself to all of our listeners. Sure. Thank you uh, for having me. So uh, my name is Patrick DeLuca. I work in the School of Earth, Environment and Society. And uh, my, my role is varied here. I mean, I'm a GIS specialist by training. That's my official job title. But uh, I also teach a lot of courses in geographic information systems, remote sensing, sometimes statistics. And I think that's probably about all the courses that I teach. So, and then, and then on top of that, I um, supervise students as well, including a student this year from health science, actually. Nice. Yeah. Um, do you mind maybe elaborating a little bit on, let's say, what a GIS specialist might be? Sure. Uh, I mean, basically, they are uh, GIS specialists in general or experts in geographic information systems and allied technologies. Um, you know, they participate in all sorts of different sort of mapping exercises, data collection exercises. Um, maybe it's creating applications like web maps and web applications. They, they exist in all sorts of different areas of the economy. You know, we use GIS, uh, every level of government, uh, every Fortune 500 company, just about every non-governmental organization. You know, you have obviously healthcare is another big area uh, and public health. Uh, so, you know, there's certainly a lot of different, you know, possible avenues for employment and uh, for specialists. And there are other different types of jobs with it as well. There's analysts and technicians and so on. And, you know, they basically have different levels of responsibility in terms of, of sort of managing a GIS project. So our next question is, is asking you if you can tell us a little bit about your journey and how you've come to where you are today, specifically what led you to pursuing your field or what intrigued you about the field of geography and geographic information system mapping? Uh, well, so I'm, I, I always loved geography, you know, since I was a child, I was always fascinated by it. And, you know, I, I knew pretty much by the time high school was done that I wanted to do something with geography. I just wasn't quite sure what yet. And, you know, so by the time I got here, I mean, I did my undergraduate here at McMaster. By the time I got here, I mean, GIS, you know, has been around for a long time. I mean, officially invented in 1963. But, you know, the reality is, is that it, it I mean, it's funny, depending on who you ask, some people will tell you that it's just picking up now. But I mean, it was, you know, it, it always seems to be one of these uh, technologies that's just sort of on the cusp of something. And that's because it's always evolving. It evolves right along with sort of all the rest of the technological advances that we see. But when I came in, you know, basically it was uh, still what most people would call its infancy, even though it was in the 90s. And I was just fascinated by it, the ability to make maps. And, you know, I could sort of 
see the power of what it could do. When I graduated from my undergraduate, you know, I have a degree in environmental science, uh, geography and environmental science, a BSc. When I graduated, you know, I thought about grad school for a while, you know, I applied and in the end, I, you know, I was down to Waterloo and I rejected them just because of the timing of things. And uh, one of the things I rejected them for was A, a full-time job that I had at a place that I was working for my undergrad, but B, there was this GIS certificate program uh, offered here, which, you know, was, uh, again, something that intrigued me. And so I, I enrolled in that program. And then upon graduation from that, uh, you know, one of the, we used to have a job board in the back of the, of the GIS lab here. And you know, I took a look at it and there was a posting there for, for somebody to work in the psychology department here on campus uh, with Martin Daly and Margot Wilson looking at homicides of uh, gang-related homicides, so space-time clustering. Uh, and so this was one of the things that I learned in, in the certificate program. And so I thought, okay, fine, I'll, I'll apply. And, you know, they hired me. And so I was able to, you know, use the tools at my disposal to, to sort of examine the different patterns that existed in the data. You, know, you can see a lot of really neat things from, you know, when revenge killings took place and gang wars and so on, and all those clearly sort of came up. And then, you know, from there, basically that was a contract. <laughs> and, and then from there, the, the director of the GIS lab, who uh, was Pavlos Kanaraglu at the time, he, you know, asked the administrator to run a report of who all the users were, saw my name there, asked me to come and see him. Uh, so I, I went to see him and sort of asked me what I was doing, what I was doing in the psychology department, what else I was doing. You know, I had a full-time job and, you know, really what was a labor type sort of scenario. I mean, not, you know, not construction or anything. It was like a late distribution type of, of, of groceries and stuff like that. And again, it was just something stopgap. And he said, you know, well, why don't you quit that and come here and work here? I can't guarantee you a full-time job. I can't guarantee you benefits. But, you know, we often have projects that come into the lab and we have nobody to do them. And if you can do this type of thing with space-time clustering, you can work on all these other projects. So I took a chance. And the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> you know, over time, that evolved into, you know, numerous long-term projects, all health-based, you know, looking at heart, uh, heart and stroke, for one, another looking at respiratory illness, another looking at uh, adverse reproductive outcomes um, and, you know, different locales, different scales. And uh, with the reproductive outcomes, I turned that into a master's. And once that was finished, the person who was in the role I'm in now left, went to U of T, they posted the position, I applied. And I, you know, the rest is history now, <laughs> right? So I've, I've been in this role ever since, since 2005. Oh, that's absolutely amazing. I think you touched on some great points that students can really learn from. And one of them is taking opportunities that you're interested in when you initially mentioned declining the offer at Waterloo being something that you're more interested in and that led you to where you are today. And your whole journey seems to have been a very unique process and with very different steps that have contributed to, to your yeah, success. And, and, you know, I'm a firm believer that you know, you have to be lucky, but you also make your own luck, right? And, mm -hmm. and, um, and that's very much been my experience, really. I mean, yes, there was good timing in that Dr. Kanaraglu was looking for somebody, turned it into, you know, 
a piecemeal sort of full-time job. I mean, there were times where I had nothing, you know, three, four months without a project, which means no money. <laughs> and, you know, but rather than sitting at home, I, you know, I was always here in the lab every day trying new different things, right? You know, it was always welcome. I was always welcome, whether there was a project on the go or not. And, uh, you know, and it's really through that sort of practice, right? Where I'm, you know, I'm okay, well, I, I don't really know this. So why don't I just spend some time on it and try and learn? You know, those things don't go unnoticed. And, you know, while I was doing that, this is when, you know, one of these big sort of longer contracts came in from Heart and Stroke Foundation. And then there was a period where I had two 40 hour a week contracts overlapping each other for a period of three months. And that was, you know, terrible, but, but there was a light at the end of the tunnel and I was working 80 hours a week for three months. You know, one was coming to an end and the other one was just starting. And, and so with that overlap, uh, you know, and if I said no, it would have gone to somebody else. Right. And, and then, you know, once the one finished, no guarantee I would have had something else. So I, you know, I, just did it, <laughs> put my nose to the grindstone and got it done. Right. But, you know, you have to make your own luck that way. Right? I mean, and you have to be careful in your decision process. Uh, I just actually wanted to pinpoint something you mentioned in your answer before. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you said something along the lines of if you ask certain people in your field right now, some of them might actually say that the profession is only just starting to pick up recently, whereas other people might not think the same way. Mm. And sort of, you know, like what made you sort of draw that parallel in the sense that some people in your field don't actually feel as if it's something new and it's been around for a long time? Well, so, so first of all, I mean, when you, when you look at, you know, students, when they come here, they have no idea what it is and it's been, but it's been around since 1963, right? So it's not like a doctor or a lawyer or, or a civil engineer or a nurse or any of these things where everybody knows instantly what those things are. The fact that nobody really knows tells me that, you know, it's one of these things that, you know, seemingly always in the sort of, you know, kind of takeoff point where it's, it's, it's just picking up. I mean, but if you look at jobs on the job market, I mean, anytime, just go to Indeed and type GIS, you know, there's about 900 jobs there. Anytime you look across Canada, uh, that's more than you can say for many, many, many other students' choices, <laughs> right, that they might have. So, it, you know, there's lots of opportunity there, but it, it's always evolving. And this is, this is why I think, you know, you, you look at a job of an accountant and that job's always the same. I mean, sure, some parts about it may change where you, where you do your accounting and so on, but it's a pretty well-established career, right? Everybody knows what it is. With, with what goes on in GIS, because of that constant evolution, you know, those who, who, who came in 20 years ago versus those who come in now, they're doing completely different things. And, and so this is why it always seems like it's new. <laughs> but uh, the, the fact is, is, you know, no matter when you come in, those fundamental principles that started back in the 60s and even before, they're still there. It's just changes have happened and, and sort of we just keep adding on top of that. And it's always sort of repackaging and looking new all the time, even though it's been around for a long time. And I guess just to follow for that too. So you mentioned a lot of individuals don't actually know what a GIS is or that the fact that the profession even exists. And that's also why a lot of people might think, oh, it's a brand new field. Yeah. Um, do you mind maybe even elaborating a little bit further in the sense of, you know, how does, let's say, a GIS specialist maybe, let's say, interact with the healthcare field, right? Like what sort of data would sure. they be working with? And maybe even like the level of collaborations they would have with maybe healthcare researchers, professionals in general. Yeah. So, uh, well, I mean, a lot of my work is in health, 
and and some people most people probably know me from there's this, there was a study in Hamilton called the Code Red uh, series which was published in the Hamilton Spectator originally in 2010 and you know there was a follow up last year that's all just examining the health of the city and you know a series of maps and stories and so on and that sort of tell the story of what's going on in the city back in 2006-7 with the first set of data and then 16-17 with the second set of data. So 10-year time period in between. And from there, like, I mean, it's basically that the city of Hamilton uses it in their policy planning. You know, it, it constantly comes up in, in discussions. But that, that's probably where most people know me from. But actually, I've, I've had a longer history in working with, with health data, you know, probably going back to 1996 or 7, somewhere in there, looking at all sorts of things related to respiratory health, related to heart and stroke, reproductive outcomes, I'm trying to think of others, cancer. So there's lots of different things that, I, that I've looked at. Currently... You know, there's, there's a couple of different things that I do. I mean, from a healthcare perspective, uh, every year I, I map out the location of all the physicians in the province. I do that for um, the Ontario Physician Health Resource Database, I think is what it's called, which they're stationed out of the hospital, but they, uh, McMaster Hospital, but they um, contract me to do that every, every year for them. I, I also am on some grant applications with Dr. Gina, Dr. Gina Agarwal, looking at different aspects of health um, she works at the family health practice downtown. So there's lots of possibilities where I work with, you know, I've worked with epidemiologists, I've worked with doctors, family docs, obstetricians, you know, respirologists, right? So I've, I've worked with all sorts of different folks. Uh, and, and ultimately, it all comes down to, you know, similar things. It's taking individuals who are experiencing one of the aforementioned problems that I would have talked about and putting them on a map and looking to see if there are any sorts of patterns that we see in the data in terms of, of geographical patterns, right? So do they, you know, do these things tend to cluster? Are they related to anything in particular? Do the things that they're related to tend to cluster along with them or not? And so, you know, a lot of that is spatial statistics. And, and obviously that's the marriage of statistics and geographic information systems really, I guess, is a simple way to look at it, but it's, uh, the subdiscipline of stats where we're interested in the in specifically in the geographic properties of the data and what extra information that might give us when we're trying to solve whichever problem we're trying to solve. Thank you. Uh, a follow-up to that, I guess, would be, could you maybe describe what a day in your field would look like? And maybe if it's different pre-COVID versus after COVID. Uh, well, my days have been the same pre and post. They don't change. But it's a bit different for me because I, I'm not always just doing this type of work, right? I mean, that's a small part of what I do. I teach courses here, so which, you know, I've been doing fairly steadily since, since COVID. And I manage uh, the two GIS labs that we have as a systems administrator. So I have, you know, I have the sort of IT skills along with the, the sort of GIS skills and the statistical skills that, you know, I sort of merge all that together. And so every day is different for me. It really depends on, you know, what, uh, I guess, what fire needs to be put out or sort of what's next on the schedule. If it's a class versus, you know, something that I can do research-wise, 
So it really varies. But I mean, typically for somebody who's involved in GIS, if we sort of divorce the teaching and the administration and just think about what a GIS specialist would do, really depending on their, their area of work. I mean, if you're dealing with health, a lot of it has to do with data management, right? So a lot of, a lot of data collection from databases usually, and then there's the cleaning of that data, the management of that data, and then there's however long it takes you to go through that, which is probably the most time-consuming thing in any project. Then it's, you know, dealing with the analysis and dissemination of results and hopefully get the policy planning and those other sorts of things. But yeah, we do different every day. Yeah, your field definitely seems very interesting and very intricate, to say the least. Um, what is important for students to learn about the different components of the healthcare system to know about your field and how it impacts population health? So, I mean, I guess the healthcare system, you know, the, I guess the one big thing from my perspective is just uh, has to deal with data about the healthcare system and you know, utilization primarily. That's ultimately what, what we end up mapping more often than not. But, you know, one of the things that I, that I think I've come to learn over time working with healthcare data and access to healthcare is that it's very much unequal, <laughs> even in Canada, even though, yes, we have free healthcare and, and everything else through our taxes. That might be true, but those who choose to access it for whatever reason, it's completely unequal. Uh, certainly, that's the case in Hamilton. That's what one of the things that the Code Red study sort of showed everybody. And, you know, so, so certainly there's, that's something important that I think people need to understand about our system is, is that, you know, while it is technically there for everybody, it's not everybody who's actually accessing it for a variety of reasons. You know, how it impacts population health. Well, I mean, when it comes to, I mean, again, speaking to my experience with Code Red probably is the best thing to point to. Certainly what we see, you know, in in this city, at least, and, you know, that might be echoed in a lot of other cities across Canada. I mean, it's hard to know unless I sort of map the data and see, is that the, the health outcomes of people uh, within the city is also quite varied. And it's, you know, again, and when you think about this sort of, you talk to our, our friends to the South, you know, they often point to our healthcare system and say, oh, well, this is great. You guys are lucky and everybody should be you know, accessing it and everybody should be relatively healthy. And that's not really the case. I mean, it, so, you know, I think we see that quite clearly in, in, in maps of different health outcomes. But yeah, so I, I think, I think, you know, it's probably important for people to understand that and recognize that it's while the system is here and it's a good system. I'm not trying to slam on the system. I mean, it, it's just that it's, it's completely unequal. <laughs> Definitely agree in the sense that it definitely gets very overlooked a lot of the times where yeah. individuals, when they think, oh, we're going to a public healthcare system, and especially with Canada, everyone has that common idea, ideology, I guess you could say, in the sense that, oh, everyone must have equal access, everyone must get that same level of treatment. And sometimes that's not the case. No. And actually having uh, gone over the code by study prior, um, like before in one of my courses, what you talked about before, that whole mapping idea, um, idea. And if memory serves me right, that study actually did look at, let's say, mortality rate was one of the biggest things in terms of the average age of death, I think. Yeah, average age of death. Yeah. yeah. And it was surprising to see that even just within the small city of Hamilton itself, you saw the cluster of that super high, I guess you could say, age group that was living in the core downtown area that was able to actually live 
for over, I think, 10, 15 years longer compared to some of the other individuals. Uh, other way around, the outside. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah the it was other way around. Or yeah. it was 21 years less. Or, yeah. yeah, it was. I, I remember it was a large gap in terms of like the, the, the yeah. differential in age. Yeah. And you brought up the whole idea that, you know, even though we think that we live in such a perfect, you can say, system, there are still so many gaps and there's still so many needs for improvement. So like, let's say from your perspective, let's say as a GIS specialist, what sort of improvements would you like to see, let's say, public health make when it comes to maybe even just in Hamilton or in general in Ontario even? Well, that's a tough question. Uh, (laughs) You know, I think, yeah, it's a tough question. I mean, from from my perspective, I guess one of the things that I've that I've learned, I mean, if you if you, you know, if you go back and look at that study, you know, the original one, at least. You know, one of the things that we found, which was probably the, the most surprising thing to me, I had to deal with family physicians and, and the amount of people who show up to an emergency room without, they don't have a family doc. So, you know, why is that? How is that happening? And it was a huge, huge number of people that were doing it. And you can again see it's the same pattern. It's, it's all in the core of the city. So, you know, I think one of the things that, that was a bright spot from that study when we did the follow-up 10 years later was that that situation had improved somewhat. And that was one of the only things that showed an improvement. I think once, once people sort of were able to see the data and see the patterns that, that you have, that causes some action to happen, right? And so, you know, McMaster helped for sure with that, with, with putting the family practice downtown instead of it was supposed to go, I think it was on, at the Innovation Park on Longwood and Aberdeen. But, you know, the problem with that location is that it's very easy for people in Ancaster to get to. They come straight down the 403 and they're there. Well, that's great. They're not the ones who are missing family doctors, though. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, to get there from, say, you know, the eastern part of the city in the core, you know, you need at least two buses and sometimes three to get to Aberdeen and Longwood. And so that now presents a real, you know, hurdle. And so I think, you know, when, you, when you're able to look at the data in this way, you know, you can make informed decisions. So I, I, I would say that one of the things that, you know, because our healthcare is provincially managed, that the province can certainly do is use the data to help in the decision-making, not to make the decision for them, but to help in the decision-making. And that certainly happened in Hamilton's case, right? I mean, there, there have been a few other instances where, you know, there's the Children's Healthcare Center beside General Hospital downtown. That was originally supposed to go on the West Mountain. Again, you know, that's not where most of the people in need are, <laughs> And so, you know, where, you know, how are they getting there and how many buses is it going to take and what happens if they miss one bus and now you got to wait 40 minutes for the next one to roll around. So the accessibility is quite low uh, in some cases, but by having the data, right, and exploring the patterns that you see the way that we did in in that study, you know, I think uh, certainly can yield benefits for the province, right? You know, they need to be more proactive. I mean, in my view, our healthcare system is entirely reactive. It's not proactive. And, you know, so you, you, and so that obviously leads to increased cost and so on on the back end. So that's the other part. When you see maps like this, um, again, use that to 
make some decisions, to be a bit proactive in the approach to healthcare. And that's where public health can come in, right? You know, by using maps like that to help spur some information sessions, whatever, materials, advertised materials, whatever you need to maybe help, you know, in one area or another, you know, with people's health. And, and then in the end, that yields benefits, right? I mean, but, you know, it all, to me, from my perspective, as somebody who works with data and GIS, it starts with the data, right? And what do we have right now? What does it look like right now on the map? How can we affect change from that, right? Yeah, thank you so much. And I think that's actually an amazing uh, response. I, I guess that very difficult question yeah. <laughs> now that I think about it. Yeah. And I definitely agree uh, in terms of when it comes to that data gathering and when it comes to being more proactive, I think that's pretty much where a lot of sort of that dissonance happens. And like you mentioned right now, our healthcare system tends to be more reactive. Yeah. And I think if we were able to change that from all perspectives, right, whether that be at even the physician level or even at our policymaking level, I do believe that, uh, like you said, we can start hopefully using that information, that knowledge that a lot of individuals, let's say in the GIS field, um, gather and that they present. Hopefully mm -hmm. we can make smarter decisions when it comes to, let's say, you know, choosing where to put hospitals or choosing where to relocate clinics so that we're able to reach more people. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of it, you know, ties to other sort of classic concepts in geography, like accessibility, right? How accessible is the place you're at? how many people might be served within whatever. I mean, it depends on the nature of your facility. But if it's something like an ambulatory care center, like they put in the east end of, of, uh, of Hamilton, close to the Stony Creek border, you know, how many people can get there within five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, right? These kinds of questions. But, you know, without putting things down on a map and then trying to figure that out, people often make blind decisions. And, you know, the data, I think, provided you treat it properly in terms, you know, ethical use of the data and it's, you know, the analyses are proper and so on. Certainly in Hamilton, it's opened a lot of people's eyes for the better, as far as, you know, we can tell. In this conversation, it really, I think, elucidates the concept of the social determinants of health, where in some populations are just more vulnerable than others. And mm. in some cases, they may be populated within a specific area or region. And so those populations not having access to care is so problematic. And the data that this field is able to generate and bring to light, I think is so important for, for driving the change that's needed for these vulnerable populations. So thank you so much for bringing up all those great points. My pleasure. <laughs> and I guess just a little bit of a different take, I guess, and getting a little bit away from the actual field itself, just in general, like what kind of resources slash opportunities do you think students should maybe pursue when it comes to pursuing this field when it comes to, let's say, being a GIS specialist, getting those foundational maybe exposure level or a little bit of experience? How do you think they should maybe begin? Well, I mean, I, to me, I think, first of all, students, I think, need to have an open mind. <laughs> you know, what's real interesting to me is every year the Dean of Science asks me to, well, each department has to go in to our, one of our first year courses and sort of talk about what we do and so on. Science 183 is the course. And, you know, it's funny when I ask, what do you think the audience consists of? 95% of them want to be a doctor. I hate to break it to you. You're not all going to be a doctor, right? That's, that's not the way it's going to go. <laughs> and there's more to healthcare than being a doctor, including this type of area here, working in public health. But there's all, there's all sorts of different things. 
So the one thing that I always tell students is number one, keep an open mind. You have to do that. Don't be too, you know, sort of uh, rooted in this thought that, you know, well, it's doctor or bust because a a lot of people will be disappointed, (laughs) right? It's just not practical. I mean, with a thousand kids in the class, you're not all going to be a doctor. It just isn't going to work out that way. So by keeping an open mind and taking a look at the different things, if you're talking about McMaster here in this case, you know, if you look at the, the different opportunities that are available on campus, to me, you know, I think when a student shows up here, they show up with an empty toolbox. Your job is to fill it with as many tools as possible to help you in whatever it is you want to do. For some people, that means taking a language course. For other people, it means taking a stats class. For other people, it means taking courses in GIS. It just depends on, on sort of, I guess, what your interest is, tends to be. But I would encourage people to, at the very least, if you're interested in, you know, in the healthcare field, but not necessarily wanting to be a doctor, right, this would be a good area uh, to focus on. And so that would involve taking the very least an intro, which is a second year course for us. I teach that in the summer, this, this coming summer. And then, you know, I think it's in term two next year. But that's kind of the starting point. And then if people like it, have an affinity for it, you can carry on from there. I mean, we have a certificate in GIS, which you do alongside your degree. So it's not any extra time. I mean, what it does is it'll take away some of your electives, but still you can, you can easily couple what happens here with whatever degree you have, including a health science degree. And, you know, I know the student who I supervised this year, she's, well, I mean, she got in because I wrote a reference letter for her. She told me she got in, she's going to a public health program, right? So that's, that's what her interest is, which is fantastic. And they absolutely use GIS there. And so she, she only took the intro just because of timing, but you know, that was enough for her to produce a very good thesis in the end. And so we'll see what happens in her future, but you know, she's, she's at least going uh, to a public health program. So, so and that's something that people should consider. Right? There are different ways that you can deal with the healthcare sector right? rather than that sort of myopic view of just being a doctor or bust. <laughs> so, yeah. So speaking to the last point, I think, that's, that's a great point, wherein there's so many different components of the healthcare system that students should be aware of because all those different components together make up our system and they contribute to patient-centered care and improving healthcare for all. So, so that's very important, absolutely. Right. Right. And I guess moving on to our final question, if you had any advice for prospective healthcare students, what would it be? Uh, well, I would tell them to, from my perspective, they should all at least take an intro to GIS uh, or expose themselves to it in some way, even if they can't fit a course in. There are other um, ways that you can access it through, say, the map library in Mills, right, as an example. But, but you know, I think that nothing beats sort of sitting down and kind of focusing, you know, with a course that kind of drives where you're going. But I think, you know, to me, I'd love to see that as a course that every health, you know, health science student takes because it's so relevant. You know, I know I'm pretty sure health science students take an epidemiology course. Well, there's something called spatial epidemiology, and that's exactly the marriage of GIS with epidemiology. And that's what you would class a lot of what I do or what I, what I have done in my history uh, would be classed as spatial epidemiology. But I'm probably going, I will willing to bet that in the epidemiology class, there isn't one mention of GIS. Right, because usually the instructor has no idea. 
classically trained epidemiologist anyway wouldn't have any idea or not a lot of experience. They may have an idea, but not a lot of experience with it. And therefore it never makes its way into a class. But certainly there is a whole sub-discipline of epidemiology, (laughs) which is spatial. So, you know, I would say that it would be a good idea for students to take a look at a course, you know, like the intro to GIS and see how they can work that into whatever it is they're doing. I mean, and, and over time, I've seen handfuls of students here and there from health science do just that. And maybe they've, you know, taken the intro and then from there, you know, they may do some extra work on their own with regards to some of the projects or so on and so on that, that happen, you know, and they're gaining experience along the way that certainly won't hurt them in any way, but may actually help them a great deal. And so, and that, that, that's the other way to look at some of these things. One of the things I, I often say to students is, depending on what your, your interests are, obviously, if you're looking to take a class because it's going to give you a 12, and that's the only reason you're looking to take it, that's the wrong reason, right? Because if, if that, and I often see it, you read it on, on the Reddit page and all these other areas there for the university, you know, oh, well, well, is this an easy course? Well, it doesn't matter if it's an easy course. Is, it's a, is it a course that's going to help you? Is it a course that somebody will find useful? To me, you know, people sort of have this mindset that I need to fill my toolbox, right? Like I used that analogy before. I think that in the end will serve them better. And that concludes our interview. A huge thank you to Mr. Patrick DeLuca for providing such easy-to-follow insight into the field of GIS and educating us and our listeners on the incredibly wonderful things this field has to offer to prospective healthcare students and to the field of healthcare at large. We hope this will be also educational for our listeners, as it definitely was for us.